From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. This is the Greg Peterson Experience on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. It's our number two of the Greg Peterson Experience on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network, and you've got to love it with the New York Post. The headline for tomorrow is going to be How Pete It Is. St. Peter's in the Elite Eight of the NCAA Tournament. Line up hitting upon that storyline a lot in our number one, and we're going to be refreshing everything that I've got with regards to Elite Eight here in the next two hours of the Greg Peterson Experience. We're going to be leading off with what I've got here on this Saturday card as we're going to be diving into Arkansas Duke here in a second. Also going to be hitting upon some MLB futures here within the next two hours as well. We're going to be talking about some teams with regards to season wins that you want to be taking a look at. And just in general, ramping up for a sport as well. Because I think that beyond just taking a look at the handicap itself, just the way that you want to be preparing for a season is important. And it really goes to all sports because there are many of you guys out there that listen that wind up getting ramped up for college football slash the NFL. I know that there are some of you that right now you're midstream. You do a lot with regards to the NHL, NBA, and I really do think that when it comes to handicapping, it is a season-long process. It's not one of these things where you want to be just trying to dive in night number one and being like, oh yeah, we're just going to wind up firing on 15 sides here on the MLB card or anything like that if it winds up being... October, you've done no research whatsoever in the NBA. It's like, oh, we're just going to roll it out here and we're going to wind up just trying to go for it. That's not necessarily the way that you want to go about it. So just going to lend a little bit of insight with that regard as well. Since my other sport along with college basketball that I really go head deep into is the MLB. So we're going to be hitting upon that on the just here in the next hour or two. So getting ramped up for that season as well. But we are in full swing with regards to college basketball. As a matter of fact, we're in, in the Elite Eight. And I write up one of these for DK Nation every single day. Hey, we're on a five-game win streak as well. It's been one of the most topsy-turvy runs I've ever been on in my life. In the last 40 days, I've had a undefeated streak of 10 straight days. I've had a losing streak of 10 days. Now we're back on a five-game win streak. So, I mean, if you want volatility when it comes to sports handicapping, my DK Nation picks the last 45 or so days. That shows you right there that you could get hot, you could get cold, you could get hot again, you could get cold again. It just, it's one of those cases in which it's all about just being able to survive the highs and the lows and trying to hit above 52.38% on the minus 110 spread to be able to make a little bit of profit as we're going to be going Arkansas versus Duke here. 
this is one in which we probably don't need rotation numbers at this point, but 641, 642, if you're looking at those, you've got Duke finding themselves a four-point favorite, and your total on this game is 147.5, and, and for DK Nation, I'm going to give out the spread. Typically, we wind up keeping it to spread bets and totals, so I'm going to be taking the plus four with Arkansas, but I feel like Arkansas should be the favorite in this game. When you just take a look at teams that have been able to win the NCAA tournament title, you've found all of them in the last 10 years have been teams that are in the top 30 with regards to defensive efficiency, and this is a Duke team that they just haven't played well on defense recently. You take a look at it, and they've been very lucky to get by because in their last seven games, in six out of the seven, they've given up at least 73 points, and they've allowed opponents in the time span to shoot 40 and a half percent from three point range, and they have four 7.9 turnovers per game among your 358 D1 teams. Duke in road and neutral court environments in the bottom 25 at being able to force turnovers. Now, the one thing that you've got to be taking note of with Arkansas is that it's going to be very intriguing to see how this game winds up getting called because I know that there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that think that, oh, Coach K is going to get all the calls because it is his last ride and everything like that. And in terms of free throws on a per possession basis, Arkansas, ironically, is your number one team in all of college basketball. So I do think that that is going to be something very fascinating to take a look at. 25 plus free throws in six out of the last eight games for Arkansas. I think that you've just got to be taking a look at it this way. You really can't wind up putting the ball in the court of officials. You can't necessarily whine about it or anything like that because they've just been terrible across the board. I mean, it is what it is. A lot of these games, they're not necessarily being decided by the officials. They just stink in general. So you just have to go in handicapping thinking that, all right, the officials are going to find some way to be able to blow this game and then move on. So that's just the way that you've got to take a look at it because, I mean, it was just very apparent in that Sweet 16 game with Chet Holmgren getting all those fouls. He probably should not have wound up fouling out of this game. You're going to get the benefit of the whistle. You're going to get the deficit of the whistle. There's really not much of a way to be able to handicap this because I've had a lot of people asking me, how do you wind up taking a look at these officials? Are there a lot of sets? For one, typically you don't know the assignments aside from in these really, really big games until like minutes ahead of the game, honestly. And then for two, there's not a lot of data out there when it comes to college basketball officials. It's just one of those things in which just assume that you're probably going to get some bad calls and move on. That's the best way of being able to go about it because I mean, even if you do wind up having this data at your disposal, the one time it winds up going against you is at the absolute worst time. So that is my best advice there. But when it comes to the actual nitty gritty of the game itself, you do have a Razorback team that they've been playing some superb defense all season long. 22nd in the country when it comes to just points allowed on a per possession basis. And then you've got an Arkansas team that has been able to do a very good job with Jalen Williams being able to take hold of this team. 10.5 points, 9.5 rebounds, a little bit over a steal, a little bit over a block per game, shooting 33% from three-point range in road and neutral court environments. They're going to be matched up with Paulo Boncaro, who... He's been very versatile himself, but is a guy that sometimes winds up settling for a couple too many jumpers, and I just don't think that you're going to see a case in which Duke is going to be able to close out with this, with the same flurry that you wind up seeing against Texas Tech. In the final seven or so minutes, I think it was closer to eight minutes, Duke did not wind up missing a single shot in the final eight minutes of that game. With regards to field goals, I think that they wound up missing one free throw in that time span, but I mean, Duke was incredibly impressive, and you take absolutely nothing away from them. The way that they wound up closing out that Texas Tech game is tremendous. Asking any team to do that multiple times in a row, 
That is very, very daunting. And they pretty much had to do it twice because they were down in that game against Michigan State with about three minutes remaining. And they are the only team that was north of a five-point favorite ever since the beginning of day number two in the round of 32 to cover as more than a five-point favorite. That was that Michigan State game in which they were trailing with three minutes left to go and then they wanted covering six and a half because it was just a march to the free throw line at the end of that game. So that tells you how underdogs have been doing recently here in the NCAA tournament. But when it comes to Duke, I also do think that you're going to need to have Jeremy Roach step up once again. And he's been tremendous in this NCAA tournament, scoring in double figures in every one of these games. But you just have that fear that bad Jeremy Roach is going to be coming out. And he did wind up having four turnovers in that game against Texas Tech. This is a Duke team that they're very prone to turning the ball over. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, they're not doing a good job of being able to generate turnovers. Arkansas, they're right around 62nd in the country with regards to turnovers for signing per possession basis. So they do a relatively solid job there. Arkansas is a team that they're, I would consider them to be a little bit more of an advanced version of Texas Tech. They're a team that they play more up-tempo. They've got guys that are, in my opinion, just better athletes in general. And that is going to be tough for this Duke team to be able to overcome because you saw Duke really struggle with Texas Tech up until that last sequence in which they just did not wind up missing a single shot in that final sequence. You've got a Duke team that they are going to have Mark Williams on low, and he's going to be the best little post presence in this game. A guy that's able to give you three blocks per game, and I really liked watching him in the NCAA tournament. He's been able to do a solid job with that regard, but with regards to Duke as well, it's a team that they could be a little bit streaky from three-point range. Wendell Moore has been playing much better. He's been able to give the team a double-figure amount of points in each out of the last five contests, but the guy that I think is really going to be a key in this game, that'd be J.D. Note. With J.D. Note, he just took too many shots in that game against Gonzaga. No fans are butts about it, but the one thing that you know that he's going to give you is production. This is a man that has scored at least 10 points in all but one of Arkansas's games this season, and I mean, the guy really is a sad sheet sufferer. You take a look at it this year. 18 and a half points, 2.3 straight steals, three and a half assists, four and a half rebounds per game. And it's a team that they do a good job of being able to rebound by committee. Odie's Tony, a six foot six combo player, has been able to do a solid job as well. Now, to the credit of Coach K, there's oftentimes been cases in which Coach K hasn't made a lot of in game adjustments. Duke going from man to man to zone in that Texas Tech game. That was a solid move by, Tech, by Duke. He did a very good job when he wound up utilizing his timeouts as well. I think Coach K actually deserves a little bit more credit for the in-game adjustments that he's been making this year as opposed to other years. With that said, I'll ride with, Chris, I'll ride with what you're able to get out of Eric Musselman in this spot because with Eric Musselman, you wound up seeing the rotations that he wound up having in that game against Gonzaga. He utilized a guy in Trey Wade that... For the year, had been averaging right around four and a half or so points, three and a half rebounds. A guy that, in a lot of games, had really been coming off the bench, had had a combined two points in the previous three games. He went off and he had himself a game against Gonzaga. He wound up having 15 points, seven rebounds. That is a matchup that very few coaches would have been able to identify. The Must Bus was able to... Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. 
Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. To identify that, what does the must bus wind up preaching? Being able to hit the glass hard, being able to play tenacious defense, playing just like your hair is on fire. I think that Eric Musselman is going to have these guys up for it. I think that a lot of people are taking a look at this Arkansas team and they're giving them a little bit of short trip because I mean, while Duke is peaking at the right time, Arkansas is as well. Arkansas has been able to win 18 out of the last 21 games. This is a team that they wound up losing to the pride of Hofstra in the state of Arkansas. It was a random game in Little Rock in late December in which Hofstra wound up having plane trouble and they wound up having their best score out of that game. Now, the Pride of Hofstra, a solid mid-major team, but I mean, that was a cataclysmically bad loss. They then wind up losing to Vanderbilt. And after that, Eric Musselman was able to flip the switch for Arkansas. They look like a completely different team right now. I think Arkansas gets the job done. Coach K's run very nearly could have been over two times over. I think that they have been playing with fire a little bit towards the back half of these games. I think that Arkansas could be able to close out in this spot. We saw them hold down, in my opinion, a better offense in Gonzaga. And I do think that Arkansas gets the job done. I am also taking a look at this total under. I want to setting it at a 144.5 with the way that Arkansas has been able to play defense. So DK Nation pick is going to be on Arkansas. Like I said, typically it's spread bets. So we're going to be taking a look at the spread there. And I'm going to be taking a look at the under. How about if we take a look at the other game that we've got for Saturday on the other side? That would be Houston versus Villanova. Preview of that is up next right here on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network. on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. If you are looking for more sports betting discussion around your local teams, well, Bet Rivers has you covered. Bet Rivers has launched a series of city casts that are designed uh, that are designed to tackle sports betting from a local perspective. You heard Ryan Rothstein on the show a little bit earlier. He does one for Philadelphia. We've got Pittsburgh, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Denver, Detroit, Los Angeles, and New York. Subscribe to your local CityCast wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. The list goes on and on. As it is the Greg Peterson experience with myself, Greg Peterson. And we took a look at game number one that we're going to be having in the Elite Eight. Technically, it is the nightcap of it, but we wind up taking a look at Arkansas versus Duke in the first segment. How about if we wind up taking a look at the game that is going to be in front of that one for the right to be able to go to the final four as we head out to San Antonio, Texas. This game is 639, 640 on the betting board, and it is Villanova and Houston doing battle. Houston, I guess you could call it the team that is going to be traveling the least because, well, they are out there in their home state of Texas. They are two and a half point favorites. Don't on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between 128 and 128 and a half. And I think that the total is very intriguing because you have a case in which we wound up seeing one over in those Sweet 16 games. The under went 7-1. and one. So it's been white hot. Now, 
Take a look at some of these other tournaments like the NIT, CBI, CIT. It's been over city, but here in the NCAA tournament, certainly has been a whole lot of under. So hopefully you've been taking a lot of those. But I do think that this total is a little bit too low because you got a pair of teams that do rank in the top 20 with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Now, you got a Houston team that's really been able to bear down on defense and Villanova deserves so much credit for the way that they've been able to play defense recently. 66 points or fewer given up in each out of their last seven games. So they've been able to play their best there, but you do take a look at this Villanova team and they've been able to do a very solid job of being able to hit some threes and you've got a Villanova team that, what else they hit? Free throws. They are the number one free throw shooting team in all of college basketball and I think that that's going to be a big determining factor in this game because Houston is a team that I just keep fearing that the free throw shooting is going to nip this team in the butt because they shoot 66.9% at the free throw line. They are one of about 40 teams in all of college basketball shooting below 67% at the free throw line. Nobody on Villanova shoots below 74% at the free throw line. And that's big because this is a Houston team that they foul a lot. Houston is in the top 75 in all of college basketball with regards to fouls given on a per possession basis on defense. That means that you're going to be putting Villanova to the free throw line, a bunch of good free throw shooters, giving them easy points. That is going to play right into the hands of Villanova. Now we had Ryan Rothstein of the Philadelphia CityCast on the podcast last hour. And one thing that I made sure to ask him about is the status of Colin Gillespie. Seems like he's going to be good to go. And I mean, unless if this guy literally just cannot walk, he is going to be playing in this game because something that you're not going to be able to identify on a spreadsheet, something that you're not going to be able to take a look at in the box score is just the will of a guy that wound up having two straight NCAA tournaments ripped away from him. We wound up seeing it last year with that just gruesome injury that he wound up taking towards the back half of the season two seasons ago. Obviously, everyone wound up having it ripped away from them due to COVID-19, but you've got to feel like with Colin Gillespie, his last ride, you've got to make it. He's going to try to make it his absolute best. Now, you take a look at the coaching, and I mean, the coaching on both sides is absolutely superb. You've got a guy in Jay Wright who has been able to win two NCAA titles within the last six tournaments, winning so in 2016 and 2018. The guy is absolutely superb, and Kelvin Sampson, one of the best X's and O's coaches in all of college basketball. I still remember being a student at UW Oshkosh during the 2014-15 season. It was the first year in which Calvin Sampson was at the head of Houston. He was scheduled to do an interview with me. His team wound up playing the night before the interview, Arkansas Pine Bluff on, of the SWAC. They wound up losing on their home floor. He did not wind up canceling the interview or anything like that. He took the interview. He said, we are going to build up Houston. We are going to build toughness. This was a bad loss, but you know what? We sort of need it in order to be able to just get to where we need to go to be able to instill into these guys that you never want to feel this way again. And guess what? Houston has not lost any swag opponents ever since then. And here they are with a chance to be able to make back-to-back final force. Calvin Sampson, a guy that knows what the heck he is doing with regards to coaching. And the one thing that he preaches is rebounding. It's not necessarily that Houston is the biggest team in the country. They don't have guys that are like seven foot four Zach Eady or anything like that. The reason why Houston does such a good job of being able to rebound is that teams just can't get into the paint in general against them. I mean, that's the thing with Houston. They do such a good job with their interior defense that 
the reason why they get so many rebounds, they are number one in all of college basketball with regards to the percentage of their misses that they're able to get an offensive rebound on. Right around 38 or so percent of their misses, they are hauling in an offensive rebound. And the reason why is because nobody gets into the paint on them. They just have good defensive shifts. They've got good defensive just being able to switch man to man. They do such a tremendous job with that that they're able to grab all these rebounds but that does sometimes leave them a little bit more vulnerable when it comes to the three-point arc. And it's not much of much more because, I mean, there has to be a little bit of a weak point when it comes to the defense. And, I mean, this is a Houston team that you take a look at it and it's absolutely supreme. And by weak point, I mean Houston allows 30.6% three-point shooting in a road and neutral environment for teams overall with regards to their three-point shooting percentage. And Villanova, they're not quite on that level. With regards to opponent three-point shooting percentage, Villanova, Still very solid. They're actually in the top 25 in a road and neutral court environment, but I do think that Villanova, just with the way that their guards are able to move the ball along the perimeter, that is going to be able to give them a little bit more of a leg up in this game. And you've got a Houston team that I do think that the injuries that they wound up suffering earlier in the season, they are unfortunately going to nip them in the butt because you've had Marcus Sasser along Trayvon Mark being out of the fold for this team. That is just absolutely devastating. I mean, if these two guys were active and they were playing in this game who knows what we would have seen out of Houston this year because Houston has been able to run rough shot and the analytics absolutely love them Kemp Pomeroy actually has them with the number one chance to be able to win the NCAA tournament if you're looking at betting markets like DraftKings a lot of places right now if Houston right around plus 350 so the number two shot to be able to win the NCAA tournament behind Kansas and I do think that that is relatively in line but I do think that Villanova is going to be able to provide a tough matchup because with Villanova, something that is not getting the love that they deserve is the big men of this team. Jermaine Samuels coupled with Eric Dixon, they combine to be able to give you 20 points, 12 and a half rebounds. And with Dixon, he's a guy that from three-point range is shooting in the pocket of about 51%. Among qualifying D1 players, he's in the top five in all of college basketball. He has been absolutely supreme with that regard. And when it comes to Houston, it's a team that ever since conference play, they've been shooting right around 32 to 33% from three-point range. They had themselves a nice sizzler in that game against UAB, but it is a team in which a three-point shooting comes and goes. And with regards to Houston, they are a team that, once again, they get into foul trouble. You saw that with Taze Moore in their last game against Arizona. They were able to afford that against Arizona because, for one, Kirk Creaser wound up giving you a big, giant stink burger and should have been just protected from himself. He tried to do everything humanly possible to be out there for his guys. He was just not able to deliver too much. So that was a little bit of an issue for Arizona. But on top of that, with regards to Villanova, this is a team that I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of being able to take control of the ball as well. Because Houston, one of the top teams at being able to force turnovers on a per-possession basis in all of college basketball, Villanova's committing right around 8.8 to 8.9 turnovers on a per-possession basis. That is one of the best, or 8. I should say 9.8 to 9.9 total turnovers per game. With regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, they're more around 26th, 27th in the country. So they do a relatively solid job there. And Houston, their own credit, they turn the ball over right around 11 and a half times per contest. This is not a Villanova team that is necessarily looking to get out there, looking to try to get a bunch of fast breaks layups. They are able to get a couple seals, but Villanova is going to be very content to not wind up generating a lot of seals, but they are going to protect the ball themselves. So I do think that that winds giving Villanova a little bit more of a shot in this game as well. And with Houston, they do have Fabian White along with what you're able to get out of Josh Carlton. They combine for about 25 points, 12 and a half rebounds. They do a solid job 
but I do think that the front line of Villanova is going to be a matchup. There were a lot of people that had, they had their concerns about Villanova against a taller team in Michigan with having Hunter Dickinson coupled with Musa Diabate. They were able to get the job done there. Houston doesn't necessarily have as much size. You do have a little bit of familiarity with Josh Carlton because he wound up beginning his career at UConn. And I do think that this is actually a relatively solid matchup for Villanova. Big men that they do a great job of being able to pull down rebounds, but at the same time, they are a pair of guys that, I mean, in general, they don't have as much size as you wind up seeing them with that Michigan front line. So I actually think that Villanova should be able to have an easier time with it here. I just think that with Villanova being able to take care of the ball the way that they do and their free throw shooting, they're going to be able to get it done. I think that they're going to be able to find their way to the free throw line. So I like Villanova outright in this spot. I wind up saying them more around a three-point favorite. So I pretty much got a reversal as to what we're seeing at the books right now. And... It's not been necessarily a tournament of overs, but I did wind up taking my total at a 130 because once again, it goes back to the late game felling. If you do wind up having a five to six point differential, either way, whether it be with Houston, whether it be with Villanova, you know what's going to be happening. You're going to be seeing the march to the free throw line. You're going to be seeing both of these teams doing anything absolutely possible to be able to get into the final four. So I do like this total over and I do like Villanova in this spot as well. What else I do like is being able to take a look at some baseball futures as it is starting to get to be that time of year. We're going to be taking a look at the outlook of some teams for the upcoming season next right here on VEASAN, the Sports Bank Network. Hoops Peterson himself on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. The KFC chicken sandwich is served hot and straight from the fryer. That's why it's so finger looking good. Order the KFC chicken sandwich today, as it is a great Peterson experience right here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. I unfortunately do not know if I've got a KFC near me that's open once this show wraps up at 1 a.m. Pacific, 4 a.m. Eastern, but you know what? We can put it on the bucket list for tomorrow because I'll actually be back from 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific time. They're going to be open more around those hours, so we're going to put that on the list, get myself a good meal there, and what else is good? Being able to take a look at some MLB season win totals as the baseball season is less than 14 days away and actually works out perfectly this year because... My main two sports are college basketball and baseball. I get a whole two-day break, and as yeah, so me, I will sleep when I'm dead. So I will be taking a look at everything that we've got coming up for the season and be able to get in a little bit more advanced analytics shed and, you know what, maybe go out for a nice meal or two. Get another KFC chicken sandwich before the season winds up starting up. So that'll be really nice. We're going to take a look here at the National League season win totals. We'll take a look at the American League little bit later on the show as well but I do think that some of these are very intriguing and we get these actually via the south point as the Atlanta Braves they are clocking in at number one with regards to the east and if you're taking a look at the highest win total on the board that is obviously the LA Dodgers out there in the west 98 and a half there but we're going to go just east central and then west we've got the Braves 91 and a half wins is their total you've got the Mets at 90 wins 85 and a half for the Phillies and then 74 and a half with the Marlins, 70 and a half for the Nationals. For the Brewers, they are atop the Central at 90 and a half. 84 with the St. Louis Cardinals. You've got the Cubs who find themselves at 75 and a half. Reds at 73 and a half. And then your poopy Pittsburgh Pirates are at 65. And then with the Dodgers, 98 and a half. 
The Salam Diego Padres find themselves at 88-85 with the San Francisco Giants. Then 69.5 for the Colorado Rockies. Then snakes on a plane. The Arizona Diamondbacks are bringing up the rear at 65.5. And, and always keep this in mind. Every single time you wind up seeing a team overachieve with regards to their season win total, typically that means that a team needs to underachieve with regards to their season wins. And it is one of these cases in which you could wind up seeing just a big giant calamity like you had last season with the San Francisco Giants, who their season win total was below 80. And they wound up being able to exceed it by north of like 30 wins. So that meant that a couple teams wound up going under and you could wind up seeing a team that could be very highly ranked coming into the year like the San Diego Padres last year, for instance. And because they go so far down, that could wind up bolstering a few different teams. So you always want to be keeping that in mind. And really the big thing there was the San Francisco Giants went way under, the Padres went way under because the Padres just wound up being completely lost in the month of September. I don't think we're going to see quite that big of a collapse from any team this season, but the one that really catches my eye with regards to an over would be the Miami Marlins. I know that a lot of people are saying, oh, the poopy Miami Marlins. Why would you be taking a look there? You take a look at this team and they signed Jorge Soler, who he was terrible at the beginning of the season last year. I don't think a lot of people realize that before he was traded from the Kansas City Royals to the Atlanta Braves, I mean, he was not very good. He was hitting right around the Mendoza line. And I mean, for the regular season, batted 223. It's not like he was necessarily doing a great job of being able to get on base. As a matter of fact, in 94 games with the Kansas City Royals, he had a buck 92 with 13 home runs. You can see Atlanta Braves, 55 games, 14 home runs, 270 batting average. And then in the postseason, he just wound up catching fire. He had that just tremendous run over there in the World Series, wound up having a trio of home runs in the postseason, was doing a better job of being able to draw some walks. So I do think that Ori Soler is going to be able to ride that into this season. And keep in mind, this is a guy that while he was with the Royals a few seasons ago, he was just on an absolute terror during the 2019 season. 48 home runs. This guy has some power now. It's going to be playing in a ballpark in Miami that we're going to call what it is. It's a little bit more pitcher friendly, and that's why I like the Miami Marlins. They've got pitching, and they've got lots of pitching. Sandy Alcantara, Trevor Rogers, Pablo Lopez. Those three guys are guys that you're able to trust in. Eliezer Hernandez has some good stuff as well. I don't know if he's going to be like a guy that's going to be above 500 this year, but Eliezer Hernandez is a guy that has some interesting prospects. He's a guy that still relatively young at 26 years old. Guy that needs to cut down on the deep ball, giving up over two home runs per nine innings last season. But a guy that I think that he's got some good stuff. I think that he's going to be able to locate a little bit better this year. And then you take a look at the constants for this team. Sandy Alcantara is the biggest of them. What he was able to do last year was very good. And I was talking about a little bit more in the previous hour and that you want to be taking a look at some of these advanced statistics rather than just raw wins and losses because Take a look at the raw wins and losses with Sandy Alcantara. He was not good. He wound up going 9-15. and 15. That's not because Sandy Alcantara is not a good pitcher. I mean, he wound up getting 200 strikeouts. You take a look at his strikeout to walk rate. It was right around 4. So he was able to do a solid job there. A guy that doesn't necessarily give up a ton of hard contact. Less than one home run per nine innings. So you're able to rely upon that. And a guy that, I will say, he pitches a little bit better at home than he does on the road. 241 home ERA. More of a 401 road ERA. But... Interestingly enough, at home, despite these home and road splits with regards to the ERA, 7-9 and nine on the road, a guy that did a relatively solid job because he didn't wind up walking a lot of guys. Overall, opponents wound up hitting 225 off of him. 
This is a guy that's already been to an all-star game. He's relatively young at 26 years old. I think that he's going to be able to continue to take strides forward. I think that he's going to be relatively solid. And you take a look at this Miami Marlins bullpen. It was above average. I mean, it's a, <clears throat> it's a Miami Marlins bullpen that they don't have anyone out there that you're going to be like, oh boy, thank goodness we've got this guy in the ninth inning because Dill Flores right now, they're closer. But I mean, Anthony Bender, Anthony Bass, Zach Pops, Stephen O'Kurt, these are all guys that wound up having, for the most part, sub four ERAs. They're able to come in there and they're able to give you solid innings. That that's what you need for a team to be able to go over their season win totals. They're a team that has really invested a lot in prospects as well. We should be seeing a lot of these up and coming arms be able to come back up. Now the big key as well is that you want to be getting Sixto Sanchez back sometime this season because you may recall when the Miami Marlins were able to make their run to the postseason in 2020 in which you wound up having the very much expanded postseason. Sixo Sanchez in the back half of that season was really one of their best starters. So that is something that you want to be taking a look at. But another thing with this Miami Marlins team is that they wound up dealing with quite a few injuries last season with Trevor Rogers. Once again, the record is Medusa with him. He wound up having a 7.88 record with a 2.64 ERA, one of the best strikeouts per nine race in all of baseball. Young 24-year-old kid that comes in from Carlsbad, New Mexico, and he has been absolutely insane for this team. And typically with Miami Marlins pitchers, because the ballpark is so friendly, you typically wind up seeing a lot of these guys do a worse job on the road rather than at home. 255 road ERA with giving up four home runs in 77 and two thirds innings. This is a guy that you're able to ride. He is an ace of the staff sort of guy right here. And then you take a look at the guys for this Miami Marlins team. Jazz Chisholm has been able to come along for this team a little bit. They picked up Joey Wendell in the offseason. Miguel Rojas is someone that is going to be able to give you a little bit of something. I liked what I saw out of Brian De La Cruz out there in the outfield towards back half of the season. They picked him up from the Houston Astros. This is a team that all of a sudden you've got some pieces now. You wind up having Asus Aguiar really fall off towards the back half of the season. As a matter of fact, going into August, I think that he was actually leading the National League with regards to RBI. So he was trying to prove that he wasn't just a one-hit wonder with the Milwaukee Brewers. Was able to do an okay job, but they also picked up Jacob Sullings from the poopy Pittsburgh Pirates, who I think that their payroll might actually be less than some individual players are making this year. And I'm not even kidding when I say that. I mean, it's a disgrace. We need to have a salary floor in Major League Baseball. I digress, and we take a look at this team, but Sawings is someone that's able to get on base. It was very much a sore spot for the Miami Marlins that you really didn't have a whole lot of catching last season. That's good, and then they also picked up Avisiel Garcia, who winds up coming in from the Milwaukee Brewers, was a starter for the Brewers, a guy that wound up having 30 home runs last season. Going to have a little bit of a tougher time of that in Miami, but guy that's able to give you some quality at-bats. This is a Miami Marlins team that they should not be set this low, especially when you take a look at the competition. The Washington Nationals are not good at all. You've got Juan Soto, and he is absolutely amazing, but the Washington Nationals are building for two to three years from now. The Atlanta Braves, very solid team. We remember before they wound up going on their Herculean run towards the end of the year, they were a team that they weren't looking like they were going to go into the postseason. Do you have faith in the New York Mets being able to take the next stride forward? I mean, the Mets are going to find a way to screw this thing up. We all know it. I mean, that's just the New York Mets in a nutshell. But I mean, I do think that they're going to be a little bit better. And we were just talking about it with the Philadelphia Phillies, with our good friend Ryan Rossi, a team that's got a lot of firepower on offense. 
a team that once again has absolutely no bullpen whatsoever. Now, I do like what they're able to bring to the table as well because Zach Wheeler was arguably the best pitcher in all of baseball towards the back half of the season last year. He's a workhorse. You've got a guy in Ranger Suarez who is, if you've not heard of Ranger Suarez, last couple games of the season, he was one of the most trustworthy pitchers in baseball. But who's going to be able to close out these games for the Philadelphia Phillies? That's a big question. So you take a look at the competition that the Miami Marlins are going to be playing in the division. That should lead to them being able to get some quality wins. 74 and a half, a little bit too low there. We're going to be picking this up a little bit more on the other side, taking a look at a couple more pennants as well, and taking a look at a team from the American League that I like with regards to their season win total as well. Because when it comes down to it, there's a lot of value to be able to have with a lot of these. And this year, we shouldn't have as many concerns with games getting canceled as well, which is very, very good. So we'll be taking a look at the American League on the other side on the Greg Peterson Experience on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network. VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. We're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience with myself, Greg Hughes Peterson, and we're taking a look at some season win totals right now in Major League Baseball. We've got the MLB season just two short weeks away, so we're going to be doing that. And then in the final hour, we're going to be taking a look at the Elite Eight games that we're going to be having on Sunday, recapping what I wanted giving out this hour with regards to my Elite Eight picks for Saturday as well. And if you want to miss any part of that, You've got vcin.com slash podcast. Our man Oliver does a great job of posting up all of these hours. He does absolutely amazing work getting you guys all set up there. So if you ever wind up missing any part of any show, got you covered there. And then Visa Bets Bets, you're able to take a look there as well. We post up every single hour of every single show. And we were hitting upon the National League win totals in the last segment. How about if we wind up giving a little bit of love to the American League as well as going to be very fascinating to see what we wind up getting with that regard because you've got so many teams out there that it's going to be very random to see what we wind up getting. The American League East, as we know, it has been sort of a just little bit of a deathly division to say the least. And right now, the biggest win total that you're finding out there in the East is, ironically enough, the Toronto Blue Jays at 92.5. From there, you've got the Yankees at 91.5. Rays at 90 and a half. So you've got three different teams in the division with the north of 90 win total. From there, you've got the Boston Red Sox at 84 and then the lowly and poopy Baltimore Orioles at 62 and a half. Frown. From there. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. 
You've got the White Sox who find themselves at 92 out there in the Central. The Twins are at 80 and a half. The Tigers are at 78 and a half. Guardians are at 76. And it's very weird to say Guardians, but that's what we've got here. And then the Royals are at 75. And then these are all via the South Point, by the way. Astros out there out west. They are by far the favorite at 92 and a half. You've got the Mariners at 84 and a half. Angels are at 84. You've got the Rangers at 74 and a half. And then the Oakland Athletics, the rebuilding Oakland Athletics, who seem to have sold off everything, along with the streamers from the fire sale, are finding themselves at 69 and a half. And I wound up giving out an over in the last segment with regards to the National League with the Miami Marlins. The under I'm taking a look at here is with the Chicago White Sox. And the White Sox have a lot of talent, but... You take a look at the division in the Central, and these teams have gotten so much better that I think it's going to be tough for the White Sox to be able to duplicate what they wanted doing last year. On top of that, you wound up seeing a big fall off with the White Sox as well, even when you wound up having guys like Yoan Moncada wind up coming, or I should say Luis Robert coming back in the fold for them, even when you wound up getting fully healthy with regards to this team. You wound up seeing them not necessarily doing as great of a job, and the one thing that I would recommend to the Chicago White Sox is that some of the guys that you're using out of the bullpen, you shouldn't necessarily be utilizing them out of the bullpen. If you wind up having Michael Kopech coming out of the bullpen again, which it sounds like they're going to be utilizing him as more of the number five starter, which thank goodness gracious for that, because this is a guy that he's able to start. That's going to be very beneficial to them. But I, I thought that some of the usage was very strange. And you do take a look at this White Sox team. You've got a lot of pitchers in which their home and road splits are not necessarily so great. And if you wind up having Michael Kopech for, out for any sort of time, you've pretty much got two and a half pitchers because you take a look at the home and road splits of Dylan Cease, and they are some of the most demonstrative ones they're able to find in baseball. You may recall with Dylan Cease during the 2020 MLB season, he was a guy with a fielding independent that was like, two points higher than what his actual ERA was. He got so stinking lucky. It wasn't even funny. And then last year, you wound up seeing it. At home, this guy was dynamic. 318 ERA, 6-2 record. He wound up actually giving up more home runs at home than he did on the road. 12 home runs at 85 innings, 80 and two-thirds innings on the road. He wound up giving up eight, but the command was not there as this is someone that he wound up having on a walks per nine rate, a little bit north of four. So that was a little bit of an issue for him. 469 ERA whenever he wound up hitting the road as well with opponents hitting more like a 241 off of him compared to a 205 at home. He was just very much pitch to, or very much built to be able to pitch in this Chicago ballpark. So I do think that that's a little bit of an issue. And then I mentioned it. The division in the central is so much better. You take a look at the Detroit Tigers. The Detroit Tigers have arms. I mean, this is a team that they actually were one of your best teams, a top 10 bullpen with regards to ERA out there in all of baseball last season. They've brought a lot of those guys back. You wound up having Gregory Soto be an all-star last season. Michael Fulmer wound up showing some nice signs of life. Signs of life. Kyle Funkhauser, he's able to bring the funk. Joey Menez is solid. They've signed Andrew Chafin in the offseason. And now on top of that, you've got a good starting staff. Matt Manning is a guy that I'm not necessarily in on, but Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal. These two guys are really guys that you're able to build your future around. They don't have Michael Boyd in the starting rotation anymore, but you wind up signing Eduardo Rodriguez, who, if you take a look at fielding independent as compared to ERA, he was arguably the most unlucky pitcher in all baseball last season. Now, I don't know how much I'd be willing to put into that because Eduardo Rodriguez, we wound up seeing it in his last full season before last year in 2019. He wound up leading the American League in walks. So 
I don't know how much progression you think that he's going to be able to give. I think that it's going to be a little bit more. I think that him being in a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark in Detroit rather than out there in Fenway, it is going to be able to help him out a little bit. So I do think that that's going to be able to be very beneficial. And it's a Detroit Tigers team that all of a sudden, They've got a lot of their prospects there up. I wanted to mention it with their starters in Scubo and Mize, two guys that they wound up showing a lot of improvement last year. And then on top of that, Spencer Torkelson. He was the number one pick in the draft a few years ago. Seems like he's going to be starting at first base, a young 22-year-old. This guy is absolutely incredible. You're going to love to see the way that he winds up playing the game. He's got good power. He does a good job of being able to get on base. He feels well. This guy is going to make an immediate impact right away for this team. And then you wind up seeing someone like a Jonathan Scope last year. Be able to give you good production towards the front half of the season, towards the back half of the season. It wound up waning a little bit, but I think that he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job as well. You wind up having a bunch of young guys get very good at bats for the team a season ago as well. You've still got a veteran in Miguel Cabrera, which He's not able to offer you too much, but actually did a better job of being able to get on base last season. So I think that he's still going to be able to give you a tad bit of something, but I trust in the pitching of this team. You got to figure that with the Guardians, it's going to be a little bit of a tough season for the team, but also keep in mind that last season, they were without Shane Bieber fever for much of the season. So getting him back in the fold is nice. Aaron Savali, he was a guy that was getting a little bit lucky, but I mean, here's the starting five for the Guardians. You've got Shane Bieber, Aaron Savali, Zach Plesak, Cal Quantrill, Tristan McKenzie. Tristan McKenzie was one of the best resurrection stories in all of baseball towards back half last season. I mean, this guy prior to the all-star break was hot garbage. And then in the second half of the season, he actually wound up putting it together and he wound up doing a really good job. I mean, you just take a look at what he wound up doing in the first half of the season and he was a complete another hot mess after the all-star break. He wound up having more around a four-ish or so ERA. So I do think that he's going to be able to come through and he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job for this team. And the big reason why he was able to do so is that he was averaging nearly seven walks per nine innings prior to the all-star break and that dropped at sub three after the all-star break. Cal Quantrill was a guy that after the all-star break was legitimately a top 15 pitcher. I mean, this guy is able to give you some very good production. He did a very nice job towards back half of the season of just letting quality starts. A 2-9 ERA for a guy that many people think is either going to be the number three or the number four, depending on how they want to shape up he and Zach Plesak. Plesak, a guy that wound up underachieving a little bit last season, but we've seen him have some production out there at the MLB level because he's a guy that doesn't walk a lot a lot of guys so that is going to be very solid now with all the moves that have been made more with the position players obviously that started out last off season with having the trade of Francisco Lindor that does wind up putting the scene behind the eight ball a little bit so offense is a little bit suspect with the Guardians but I mean they're improved the Kansas City Royals are not expecting a ton out of them but you want to seeing them be a little bit of a pesky bunch with the Minnesota Twins they wind up signing Carlos Correa it's not going to be easy for the White Sox to be able to really have a super high win total because while I think that they're the best team out here in the division, the teams after them, I mean, they're all relatively equal. They're all going to be pesky on a night in and night out basis with the expansion of the postseason. You got to figure that there's going to be fewer teams that are going to be sellers at the trade deadline as well. 92 for the White Sox, a team that it just felt like they wanted playing like knuckleheads at sometimes last season. That's not something that I want any part of whatsoever. And 
If anything, I'd be taking a look at the over on a lot of these teams out there in the central. I think that the Tigers have a chance to be able to get to 500. With the Guardians, you've got pitching with this team. If you're able to get Sam, if you're able to get James Karinchuk back and healthy, because he was not necessarily himself towards back at last season. If you're able to get the bullpen guys to be able to be at the very least halfway decent, Emmanuel Class A was one of the best closers in all baseball last season. You've got yourself a little bit of something there. The Minnesota Twins at 80 and a half. I'd be taking a look at them over. I think that they're going to be able to have themselves a nice resurrection season after last year. It just all wound up hitting the fan. Joe Ryan, one of the best up and coming pitchers in all baseball. So I mean, if I'm looking at the Central, I'm looking at overs on darn near everyone except for the Chicago White Sox. As I think that that might be one of the most competitive divisions out there in baseball. So I think that that is where you want to be looking with regards to season win totals out there in the American League. And where you want to be looking with regards to college basketball. Is at some of these Elite A matchups. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at the two games that we're going to be getting for Sunday, along with a game that you may not have known is actually going to be played this weekend. That's up next right here on VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network. The kid. The kid. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.